welcome to 7th Level Bardcast. My name's Jason, and I'm here with my co-host Jared, and our guest, Robbie. We'll be talking to him today about his game, Wim the Grim. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, we're so excited to uh, have a special guest today. Um, I know I'm a big fan of his um, podcast, Could Have Been Heroes, and... Uh, uh, but I did specifically ask him on today because I wanted to talk to him about his game, Wim the Grim, which they play in his podcast. Um, so, Robbie, uh, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit just to intro it? Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, it's me. It's my time. This is, <laughs> you know, not no PCs, no, uh, no players, uh, just me talking about my stuff. That's awesome. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So yes, hi, I am Robbie. I am the speaker on Could Have Been Heroes podcast. We have, um, let's see, are we going into, we're at 24 episodes of broken fairy tale fantasy horror nonsense, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, we're playing in our own uh, unique game system that we're kind of um, playtesting, developing, building as we go. Um I've been working on it uh, in a couple of different iterations over several years. Let's see, how long ago? Oh, right. The last year has just evaporated uh, in my <laughs> mind to COVID. So now three years. Uh, and it's taken on a bunch of different iterations, but the current one we're really happy with. And um, yeah, I hope how much fun that we're, we're having playing has been coming through. Uh, it's been really awesome to to make a show and... and um, get to kind of like put a game I've been working my ass off on through its paces, you know, and take it through a bunch of different permutations and scenarios. And yeah, people haven't been uh, uh, too uh, snippy about us changing things as we go. They, you know, just kind of <laughs> roll with it. So that's been great. And um, just hearing that anyone is a fan of anything that I do is awesome and uh, very weird because I've been a, just a, dm for my friends for 25 years and then i was like i want to make something and then i started doing it finally i don't know what it was that that broke the broke the dam but i had i just had to design my own game it finally happened <laughs> jared you haven't said anything yet so i will let you speak is there any anything you want to start off question wise for him well I would like you to first kind of describe in your own words the importance, both mechanically and thematically, about your game. You know, try and give us more of a description. I love what you're doing. You have great energy. <laughs> Too much energy for me at the moment. Oh, yeah. Sorry, but, I should have asked. I, I, I come in hot. <laughs> no, it was perfect. That's my brand is. I, I'm just going to just be prepared for me to sit back and just smile at you. Oh, that's fine. No worries. <laughs> no pressure. So yeah, just uh, kind of prime everyone with information that you want to throw out there. You know, the real juicy meat of the matter that you do just love about this game. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks. That's I th thank you for direction. <laughs> I could I could definitely Don't I, worry, I, I'm I used could to definitely it. use it. Uh, okay, yeah. So the game Wim the Grim is uh, basically our group of friends has been playing has played every edition of Dungeons and Dragons. We have played uh, Pathfinder. We've played a bunch of, um, you know, indie games. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say maybe like 15 or 16 different just like random games over the years. Um, they're all so cool. They all have so much like unique stuff to offer. But of course, as a DM, as a designer, you're going through and you keep saying to yourself like, oh, I wish this there was something like this. Or I wish there was something like that. And so I have basically compiled a wish list of things that a game system would do or could do or would support. And I just sort of put them all together. So this is basically just like my dream game. So basically how it works is, is it's a, you know, you know, a love child of all the Dungeons and Dragons -y games that came before it. Just with uh, maybe stranger, more out there sort of mechanics. Um, 
all of the classes, for example, are based on uh, fairy tale tropes or mythological ideas. So it's like, you know, myths and legends kind of twisted and mangled up. So, for example, the starting classes are like uh, there's Frog Prince, which when you take this class, you become sort of this like daring swordsman but also a frog and the mechanics all sort of like feed into that. And um, my take on a, on a witch who has both the sort of gentle, benevolent nature concept, but also the very spooky, uh, dangerous to youth and innocence concepts. We've got uh, wizards that rise from the dead. We've got a badass warrior Little Red Riding Hood analog who's also sort of a werewolf. Um, So what it is is that each um, class is also a curse. So sort of the way that classes work is they're applied to your character after character creation and they give you a bunch of supernatural abilities and and um, sort of like archetypes that you can build into. But they're also a curse that progresses over time. And how that gets worse is your character experiments with black magic or dies and their curse has to resurrect them from the grave. Because one of the original concepts behind this um, back in its earlier iteration, which was a much more sort of like bleak horror centric game um that i pivoted my design on because covid started and i couldn't work on something nightmarish and horrible i wanted something that had more of a a range of emotions in it positive and negative and so we retreated the design into this fairy tale setting that we were all so in love with called Farital, which is just a gag. It's a mispronunciation of fairy tale. Like someone from their world was spying on someone from our world and just overheard it and just pronounced it wrong when they, they reported back and it's just stuck for a million years. So, so anyway, classes are also curses. And as your character progresses, they become more powerful, but they also become more monstrous because secretly this is my desire Um, This is like my love letter to monsters because that was what got me into games in the first place is the the second edition monster manual when I was seven years old or something. That was the thing that just sucked me in. I was like, they're stories and they're scary and they have game mechanics behind them. Like I was, I was in love. So it's secretly letting the players play monsters and um, it's also a secret way for me to uh, be able to kill players <laughs> without ending their stories. Because that was one of the, the things that the core things is I wanted to make really challenging content that had serious consequences. But that, that, didn't, I, that wasn't just this binary pass-fail TPK or not I don't know I, I hate killing players because it ends cool stories but I didn't know how to make the kind of like really crunchy scary bad guys that I wanted to and and so basically this this game is just me answering a bunch of questions and solving a bunch of wishes for myself from over the years I told you I'd go on and on like <laughs> so oh don't worry I thought about maybe stopping you here and there but it was all good content, and you kept switching uh, topics right when I was about to give you a nudge. So you did good. <laughs> great. I'll just do the. I'll just do this myself. I'm such an ass. So. That's great. No, yeah, no, yeah. you're good. Go ahead. Just fill the time for well, me. Oh, great. Please. That was my uh, really long elevator pitch for the uh, <laughs> for the game. Yeah, I, and I absolutely love that. Awesome. Yeah, I. Go ahead, Jason. No, I I like the concept of. Um, Kind of making your 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 character struggle and and your like your character is going to struggle with those things in game and to tie it to the player so that they're having to decide that struggle you know uh, you know yeah I can take this monster out really quick but I have to tap into something that is going to make me more monstrous mm-hmm. and giving the player that choice to to make like uh do i save the day this time or do i do it next time you know uh you know if i keep doing it will there be a next time 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the most powerful abilities and and magics that they have all have this like ticking clock attached to them. This sort of like like dark descent attached to them, and they're really powerful and strong characters beyond that, but. The ease, like we have one character that has this lineage uh, ability that it uh, that um, sort of elven or fey type characters can have people from who have a lineage to the natural world, which is um, to be able to dominate or control nature, but it's permanent. So you take over the mind of an animal or a plant or, or kind of something like that, but then it's it's bound to you forever. And so that increases your reckoning because it's a you know a really strong ability that can, you know, end encounters very quickly. And the character who unlocked it is just like every now ev- suddenly every problem that they've encountered in the last several sessions has been I could solve this if I just land this ability, but I'm terrified to do so because I don't know where my next like darkness benchmark because the reckoning score is hidden from the players. Only the GM knows where those specific numbers are. So she's at, you know, eight or nine reckoning points, and she doesn't know that at 11, something on her track unlocks. So mm-hmm. at 11, um, because she's a Red Hood, which is the Little Red Riding Hood, Big Bad Wolf mashup, at uh, at 11, she will unlock an ability called um, What Big Claws You Have where her fingers grow long claws. She gains, like, really powerful, like, bleeding, rending attacks with her claws. But also, she has horrifying, mangled monster wolf hands. And everybody sees that. <laughs> sees them, and, yeah. She can't just and, them. And, and this is a world that's very superstitious. Mm-hmm. So, and then if she goes back below 11, they go away. So if there are, it's much, much harder to lower the reckoning track than it is to increase it. But if you do, but then you lose the power that you also gained with those, those like powerful claws, just as a small example. Um, but then the GM can move the, the, where the, the, that marker is by a few points here or there. So you never quite know when it might crop back up again. It's this sort of moving target and it's something that the GM keeps track of, um, uh, secretly, like, uh, you know, so so if, you know, I ever achieve my dream and I'm able to publish this, the uh, the all of the outcomes of the curse will be in the the GM's speaker's speech. manual, not in the, the player's handbook. And they'll be like maybe handed out as cards or something that's easy to, to give and then take away um, from the player that doesn't require them to do. That's one thing I have been struggling with is a lot of my ideas. Um in implementation i want to make them as as you know easy and and mitigate busy work as possible but a lot of my ideas are uh might require more fiddliness than i may be happy with up front so i have a question um how much of this have you wrangled into actually writing all of this down like oh applying actual rule writing for it well, so for the actual the rule book, I've got um, how the uh, action economy works, how the spells work, how um, the action economy is um, similar to, you know, your standard Dungeons & Dragons fair, except it breaks things into aggressive, defensive, and strategic actions. Yeah, and I so, took that one out. Yeah, so yeah. I have that. I have that out there. That's just sort of the bare bones. That's not like a lot of the meat on it um the classes i've been focusing since this is also a podcast i've been focusing on creating content for the classes that we have in the game which are currently witch of the wilds red hood uh dead wizard (laughs) which is the nice way to say lich because lich is such a scary (laughs) word it's such a scary word to everybody in this world that dead wizard is far preferable um and then metamorph and then um uh, Swan Noble, which is based on the the like kind of Germanic legends that uh, Swan Lake and and uh, you know the Maiden and the Waterfall are sort of based on. So um, those are the classes that they wanted. So I have those built up most, and I really love the idea of skill trees. And in the podcast, we've been they've been having some dreams, some strange dreams about white trees, and having kind of uh, so they level up in their dreams. 
by actually like growing this tree that they're all bound together to, which is because I really, I mean, my favorite thing about games and the one thing that TTRPGs are just do better than any other medium in, than, than most mediums can't even do is mixing a feeling of immersion, a feeling of agency and empowerment, you know, game mechanics with storytelling stuff. So I'm trying to blend those two together as much as possible. Cause I, I love systems that are just narrative. Don't worry about the mechanics so much. And I love systems that are, oh, it's really mechanic heavy, um, but it maybe doesn't support uh, the narrative as much. Like I'm one of the few people who was like, I really liked fourth edition. I thought it was really cool. I know it didn't, I know it didn't do the narrative stuff as well, but man, we had a flipping blast in some of those battles that it, it provided. But yeah, it didn't do both things very well. Um, so I'm trying to do something that just, that is more of a blend, um, than, uh, like excelling at one thing or the other. So, um, or I hope it excels at both, but you know, that's the, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the, that's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So, so as far as that, I've got, so skill trees, uh, little nodes, like you spend experience points to unlock a node that might be something like, um, the witch uh, increases their inner world, gets more vitality, um, gets, you know, gets some more health and then also can store more spells. And then that will lead to another, another node that does something else. So I'm trying to do like skill trees that look a little bit like, um, you know, like your Diablo two (laughs) kind of, they look like little, little branching paths and stuff. Um, so yeah, I've been, I have, I'm farthest of course, working on those on, um, the characters that I've got, uh, in the podcast and, um, uh, yeah, as far as those other mechanics, I I've got their structures all down. I'm just, you know, adding, uh, once I've got the bones, then it's just adding more content and that's what takes just so much time. So much time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And like, I know for me, uh, the reason I asked is I, run into trouble trying to actually put it into words like i know how it functions in the game i know how i like it you know i know how it works in my head but putting it down on paper and actually getting other people to understand it is Mm -hmm. hard yeah it lives (laughs) as a it lives as brain soup first for like a long time gestating i mean like i feel like some of these ideas and systems have been just like living in my head as larva for like (laughs) like years um but you gotta you gotta spit it out even if it does even if it's bad and doesn't make any sense that just just that first draft is just to give it physical form and then you gotta start chiseling it into something that other people can understand um but yeah you're exactly right i definitely have run um things in the podcast in systems that were were basically just sketches in my notes um but I was able to run them efficiently because I understand them. <laughs> it's the, the trick for a game designer is then being able to take that and give it to other people. My greatest dream is to, is to sit quietly and watch other people play a game I designed and get it, you know? So, um, yeah, I think. Yeah. Being yeah, able I to know. hand it to someone and yep. then being like, I don't need to ask you any questions. It's all right here in the book. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I tried recently with mine to hand it over to um, my buddy, um, and we'd been playing it for quite some time, but uh, I didn't have a GM section written um, mm-hmm. because for me, it's like everything's off the cuff. Like, I, you know, I kind of decide what I like to use and why. I mean, I throw mm-hmm. out rules for my own system. Exactly. Just, yeah. <laughs> just be, so that we can carry forward with the game. And Right, exactly. Uh, Suddenly you. you- I think it's almost it get it becomes so because it's yours you understand it so much more intrinsically you can you can delete omit mute things and then bring them back later when they they are helpful yeah that's the, yeah that making that translation it's like it's like it's like translating it from from like Sanskrit or something like you know <laughs> into into English that other people can understand yeah that's that's quite a process um, and so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Is fleshing out the bone, you know, the bones, putting some meat on the bones. Well, that's cool. Uh, I know probably the playtesting's helping a ton. Oh yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, you can't do it without. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so, um, 
So I know you talked just a little bit about. So did you guys do? Uh, you said you did all of the D and D, and then you said what Pathfinder and what yeah, was the other? yeah. We did we did uh, Pathfinder. We did Edge of the Empire, which was one of the Star Wars games that Fantasy Flight put out. Because uh, my buddy Josh, who I've been gaming with since I was a uh, um, a teenager, is a big star wars fan we didn't actually play in a star wars setting but we wanted to play uh like sci-fi cyberpunky kind of stuff and that actually was pretty good um huge dice pools <laughs> full of crazy dice and they were pretty fun to interpret but it definitely pushed the game into a very very cinematic place because you didn't want to be <laughs> be doing too many <laughs> too many rolls in any given session because the way the dice mechanics would work um yeah let's see what else have we played we played we played fate for a little while um i'm a big fan of blades in the dark um which i think has a has a different name now um no don't they just call it like the well uh, isn't there like a full it's the forge in the dark system. yeah that's it that's that's right the system is now has that forge in the dark yeah my that's buddy right. did a hack yeah. a cyberpunk hack of it called five aces michael are the other co-host right on i was gonna say are you just yeah 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 regulate him to yeah, buddy yeah, and he's, not a host anymore? He's, yeah he's not here so he's just a buddy but uh yeah he, <laughs> he did g- he gets he gets demoted very quickly yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, he did. Uh, oh, I feel like we've that's been the running off of, of us. We've been um, playtesting that for a while. Um, awesome. He just put the whole thing together. I mean, his is like, he just needs art for his. He's got, you know, 350 pages of material all put together. So Hey, holy shit. Uh, that's a lot uh, for uh, uh, well adaptation of the. It is. Awesome. And, and um, he used the SRD, so he's able to pull a lot of stuff over, but he made a lot of changes on stuff so you know he's he's got a lot of original material setting a lot of the um i don't know if he ever finished reworking the actions but i know the entire setting he added a few new systems we walked some of the other systems added in a ton of stuff so yeah right on but oh so okay so the reason i ask about what you've played is i'm just curious um how much of your system did you uh, kind of make up from what you wanted? Like, hey, this is how I want something to function, as opposed to just being like, oh, I can take this mechanic from this game, tweak it a little bit, and it'll work for me. Oh, sure. Uh, well, I think that the basic flow of the game um, is basically how we've been playing a bunch of other games, where we have found we tend to truncate the game or not truncate but like break up the game into sort of like three game types there's conversation and exploration that's the like theater of the mind everything's very soupy and you kind of do what you want and you chat and you you know there's no turn order stuff like that but then there's also the sort of action sequence or like chase or something that that is tight, is in a turn order, but that you don't really need to keep track super specifically of where everything is um, because action is moving and maybe it's moving from like one set piece to another. And then there's the, the like, only I can only refer to it as like a boss battle where it's like really life or death. Every space matters, you know, every movement counts, every action has to be planned out. And so I just codified those into, you know, one interaction. You should basically make sure that everybody around the table has one, does one thing in the exploration section. In the action sequence, everybody does two things. They might move to somewhere and do a thing or punch a guy and punch a guy again or, you know, whatever. And then in the, and then in the actual sort of, the part that takes the the most from Gygax's original like wargaming inspiration is that it's three actions. And then I thought, you know, I, I have health broken into mind, body and spirit. And I thought it would be cool to do actions that are uh, aggressive, defensive and strategic, like break them up into kind of different categories just to kind of give it a different flow from, uh, uh, from, from the, you know, big daddy Dungeons and Dragons and, so basically I just kind of looked at the way that we've been playing and started trying to break those things 
up and kind of codify them because I think everybody who has a long running game plays it their own way. But if you actually sat down and looked, you've probably fundamentally changed some of the rules about how certain things work or how certain things flow. And if you, you know, wrote those down, codified them, that might be, you know, more unique than you imagine. So that's what, that's where we started doing that. Um, yeah. So I started with concepts and then just kind of, kind of slammed through a bunch of different mechanical things and then hated those and rewrote them and threw them all out and tried again. And I, and it was kind of weird cause I kept coming back to certain things. Um, certain things were way too fiddly and I found ways to simplify them, but certain things just stuck like the health system. I really, really like how the health works. So health in the game is there's, uh, body, mind, and spirit. And those are three different, basically three different kinds of health. They call them essence. So those are when a character is injured or spends essence on certain abilities, they lose from these pools. And the pools are pretty easy to get back. And when you rest, you get some of them back. And when you sleep, you get all of them back. Um, however, if a pool is depleted, that essence type get goes into a state called essence break and you just put an x over it on your sheet and now you can't gain any more of that essence easily um so like if you would be healed it doesn't heal that that can't heal that pool anymore and when that happens you take an injury and you gain like an affliction so i wanted to take hit points the concept of hit points um which is a very abstract way to look at health and and, and, uh, do, yeah, yeah, a very, I die because I took, uh, 107 hit points of damage and changed that to, I die, my character, you know, fainted or passed out or died because I had a broken arm, I had been cursed with fire blight, and, um, I was poisoned, and then my, I had a kidney rupture, and now I died. So that was too much, that was too much trauma for my body to take, so, so, but I couldn't. the affliction cards at first were just getting handed out right away. And it was just, it was devastating. Every time something happened, you would get crippled. So I just sort of split the difference. You have this sort of characters have three different little like baby health pools that protect them from getting injured. So you want to be really proactive with your defense um, rather than doing this constant like seesaw back and forth. That's what I was trying to avoid with the health is that, that health seesaw, the, the world of Warcraft health seesaw, you know? Um, And yeah, you don't want to have people just constantly, Hey, they threw their attacks at us. We throw their, our attacks at them. And it's just a race to the bottom. Yeah, and then and then I, I my whole character is built around undoing the attacks that they just did to us by healing, and so yeah, it just becomes this resource game. Whereas in this, um, how I how I how I built it is that once you run out of a certain type of health, body is like physical health, uh, mind is mental and like magical health, and like spirit is. Um, uh, it actually refers to like humors and stuff. So if you're if you're thrown against a wall, you'd take body damage, and if you're uh, stabbed and are bleeding, you'd take spirit damage. Um, so you have a couple of different kinds of health, but once those are done, then you gain an injury, and that has some sort of uh, quantifiable effect. Like a broken arm mitigates how well you can wield weapons, um, c- reduces your climb speed. And that would all be written down on, again, what I'm thinking might be the easiest for these is just like, uh, cards to hand out. So, and once all the cards sitting in front of you add up to your trauma threshold, then you pass out. And if it exceeds your trauma threshold, then you start to die and your, and it, uh, your curse has to spare you from permanent death. Then you gain more reckoning and your curse gets worse. So, Um, but so I started with hit points and I started with the idea that I just want to make hit points more, uh, more, uh, more realistic or I want, I don't want the original idea was, I don't want characters to die uh, or fall unconscious from taking 80 points of damage. I want them to fall unconscious from having a broken arm, a cracked skull and a punctured kidney. Um, and then I was like, how do I get there? (laughs) <laughs> so uh i sort of backwards engineered it through a couple of years uh different iterations and um plus mind body and spirit just sounds cool so right 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 
at your... Yeah. <laughs> I really like how you uh, went about it, because in one of my games that I'm trying to backburner design very slowly <laughs> over the years, I had the same issue. I didn't want to do HP, period. Mm-hmm. So what I did instead was I made it so that every hit that connected actually did something. Mm-hmm. Whether it was a broken yep. leg, torn rotator, yeah, that's where I started too. Uh, bleeding, blah, blah, blah. And then, because I didn't want to just have a hit or miss, uh, you know, stacking disabilities kind of thing, I introduced a protection measure where everyone has talismans, which is kind of like the lucky feature of hey, I'm an engineer, this scrap of metal is in my pocket because I think it dodged me when it exploded out of the engine. (laughs) So I trust that, and it's my lucky talisman, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when they take a gunshot or something, they can expend that talisman rather than being injured. Mm. Yeah. And then they have to find more talismans to reroute themselves. Yeah, so their health is like a story-based mechanic. That's really interesting. yeah. Yeah, and it's it's always cho- you can always choose to not expend mm-hmm. it and to try and survive because you're not going to die from a single hit mm-hmm. usually. However, that single hit might fuck you up for several months. <laughs> yeah, you're dealing with so that you're for sessions. You kind of have to weigh where you're doing. And I really like the way you went about it too because you did a very similar thing by giving them a small protective bubble. And then allowing things to slowly stack and build up so it's not just, hey, my number went down too far. Right, and then, I'd exactly, start. it was breaking it into... There was meaning. Yeah, breaking it into two different types of things. One is loss of numbers. But once that has progressed to a certain point, then it's my character is too worn down to protect themselves effectively anymore. And now these affliction cards start stacking up and they have their own unique little mechanics and disabilities that go with it. And uh, yeah, that has been really cool and fun. I think I've been uh, in the show so far in the podcast, I've been taking it way too easy on the players uh, and I am going to fix that tomorrow. <laughs> they are running into a bad guy called the Gentleman Hunter, which is uh, from uh, from the original iteration of Faritol that we played 15, 16 years ago. Um, and I told them oh, that it was him. And he, uh, they, uh, the people who had played back then definitely uh, um, got the cold sweats now that they, know that they, they knew they were in trouble. <laughs> yeah, now they know that's what they're going into. They're like, ah, he wears only human skin and he's so freaky. He's basically like the boogeyman. Um, so, oh, God. yeah, I'm excited. Okay. Uh, so, I have a question, um, and I thought about it when I was listening to the episode today is you don't roll then, right? Like, it's all almost, set for them. Almost never do I roll. Yeah. Um, the, the speaker – okay, so originally it was called speaker because the original iteration of this game was called uh, Nocturne. Um, uh, just that was kind of the working title, and it was much more horror-based, which, again, I still want to make. I still want to make like a uh, – uh, the sort of Ravenloft to my Dragonlance, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> like I still want to do that someday, but um, – I want to start with something that's got a little bit more variety um, right now. And plus I'm just kind of obsessed with this fairy tale idea for some reason. Um, But so at any rate, it was originally called the speaker because speaker for the dead speak, you know, just, I tell you what happens to your character. I don't cause it to happen. So when a monster attacks you, you roll a defense roll. And if you fail, you were unable to defend yourself and some, some, and consequences happen. It's not me attacking you because I have this whole philosophy that like for just for me personally, I like to be a GM who is an advocate for the players who is on their side. I want their story to be told, but I don't want their story to be boring. (laughs) I don't want their story to be, I don't want their victories to be easy. Uh, you know, I, I like tragedy just as much as I do comedy, probably more. So um, so I just philosophically, I thought it was kind of cool. If I don't ever attack my players, I have the monster attacks the players and the player is able to defend themselves or not. Um, so I liked that. I liked that a lot. But that has led to a very weird situation where I will go multiple sessions without rolling a die. 
<laughs> because monster attacks, they roll defense. Um, if there's some sort of percentage chance that something might happen, they roll it. And I just set the parameters of what is success or failure. So yeah, I don't, I barely ever roll anymore. That's wild, which is too bad. Cause my partner, Aaron, uh, has started this little like side hustle called Nearly's Dice, where he makes these like really beautiful dice with oh, like I know with I like was, alternate I won shapes. The giveaway. That's right. Oh, that's yeah, right. You were, yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember. <laughs> yeah, that. they're gorgeous. Yeah, good stuff. And he's yeah, he's just getting better and better at that. So I have the most beautiful dice sets I have ever had in my whole life, <laughs> and I <laughs> never fucking them. roll them. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> just uh, uh, just typical. Fucking typical. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah because and i you know i love dice and then mm. we started playing um you know like blades in the dark mm-hmm. and um uh, my own game that i designed I, the gm doesn't roll um mm-hmm. and you know we play games where the gm's not rolling and <laughs> i definitely i definitely have more fun playing as a g or running the game than i do uh playing in it now don't mm-hmm. get me wrong i do love playing but uh, yeah, I don't get to use my dice as much as I, w- I would like to. <laughs> yeah, that whole DM v PC thing, it's so interesting because I in that one shot I played last night, I was really enjoying myself. You know, I love doing voices. I love playing characters. All that stuff's great. But I had a moment last night which was like really awesome and kind of cathartic where a, uh, this villager was being attacked by this shadowy evil monster on a bridge below me. And I uh, my character... I was like, well, what I would do is I would go, hey, look out, there's a monster there. And then I would run away. Um, (laughs) But my character leapt off the bridge screaming and smashed the monster with his warhammer and then threw the villager back out of the portal behind me. And it was so cool. And it was so not me. (laughs) It was so, it was this whole selfless, maniacal, zealous bravery that like, no way. Oh, no way. Uh, I would never, I'd never have that in me to do. I I don't think maybe, but um, yeah, it was super cathartic. And I'm like, I can, and in that moment, I'm like, oh, I totally see how people get addicted to this side of the table, the PC side of the table. Yeah, Like I get it. I get it. That's, that's a, that's a whole, that's living a whole different kind of life than the one you get to live in real life. So that was cool. That was cool to see. Yeah. I go ahead. I, well, I'm about to switch the topic entirely. Okay, okay. So That's cool. If you, okay. Because we all kind of getting pretty late, but I did want to ask some mechanical questions. Great. More about your design process than anything else. I want to ask you some general, like, design sure, questions. Sure, absolutely. For example. Let's do it. Let's just start with an easy one. Where did you decide on, like, your limits? And how did you decide them? Like, for mechanical or theatrics, did you just go with soft limits? Did you go with this is the line in the sand that I will not cross? Or oh, do you mean? You do you mean from like a content them? perspective? Uh, I mean, as in you are writing the rules mm-hmm. of the game. You have your idea of what you want it to be. You have your you know goals in mm-hmm. mind. Did you draw any hard lines in the sand? Did you set limits on anything? Well, so. So I am, uh, I'm definitely of the, the, uh, uh, go big school. So I definitely push more towards splashy bombastic. I like when players have too many options. I know. And this is just for me. This is just my own personal preference. I think that there are some really spectacular streamlined austere games that keep things very cinematic, very tight. We're having a great time playing in a version of the the game I designed that that has like no supernatural powers almost whatsoever. And it's still been really fun because, you know, playing in a Lovecraft world where your character is a detective and can shoot a monster in the head with a shotgun, that's still very exciting, you know? But like that's the limit of his his supernatural abilities at the moment. Um but with this fairy tale game, that's what it's set in Faritall, and Faritall is big, it's meta, it's weird. Um, so at level one, I kind of wanted the characters to feel more like level five, like that. Uh, if you, if we were to to draw an analog to to like a Pathfinder or something, the amount of options and different 
things they can do. And because I really like when players have lots and lots of tools and then can use those tools to solve problems in a whole bunch of different ways that you didn't expect. Um, and so I think I've gone really big with things and, you know, I've tried to do balance stuff where, for example, I want to make sure that the, uh, you know, roguey stabby melee character has consistent damage, but big spikes of damage when they crit. Like I do love that, that kind of, kind of thing. And that, the the more brawler type just has consistent damage and is tanky. Like everyone has to have strengths and weaknesses, but I definitely shoot more for the, the moon. Like the characters are definitely pretty powerful and pretty, um, resilient i mean for god's sake i built a system where the characters don't die permanently <laughs> like so i think i definitely pushed yeah. the power level to be to be big and to be splashy um and i'm just trying to find so what i'm trying to do is to make a game that goes more lateral than forward because um a lot of games have this at level one you, or at level two, you're twice as powerful as you are at level one. And it keeps just like racking up and racking up and the numbers keep going up and keep going up. But I'm trying to make something that where a character that you've played for a year, um, the numbers will be a little higher and there will be like, uh, they, they will be, you know, a little bit more resilient. They'll do like 20, 25% more damage than they did when you, st when you started a year ago. But I just but they'll have way more options. They'll have way more cool things that they can do that just make them feel awesome and unique. And they'll have more solutions to more narrative, strange, weird, esoteric sorts of problems. And so they're so yeah, that's kinda one of the things I've noticed as you're talking is you want to give a lot of options right up front. Yeah. You want to be larger than life. You want to give them all. Yeah, this. I really did. But right as off you the go bay, down, right off the bat. But as you go down, you don't really want to so much empower them as just keep unfettered and keep them with as many options to do as many interesting and intricate things as they personally see to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a a, a high, quote unquote high level character in this system will have more answers to more problems more than they will be just able to hit something a lot harder. I think that that's, that's kind of the goal I'm going for is I, I want a, a level one wizard to be, you know, or an, or a, a game a session one wizard to be, um, uh, you know, sort of like your typical, uh, traveling wizard trope and i want your level your like high level wizard to be gandalf with like lots and lots of different things that they can do um you know not necessarily uh you know dropping meteors on <laughs> on uh on whole kingdoms or whatever but have just just more cool stuff uh, that they can do so there's two really interesting points that i kind of gathered from this and one goes back to that uh, story you were telling earlier about the Red Riding Hood. Mm -hmm. And the other is kind of going off what you were just saying. Uh, the Red Riding Hood is you really want to give them a specialization or a uniqueness while still leaving open their things, mm -hmm. their options. And the other one is that you almost seem to want build off of the session's history or the character's history. Mm -hmm. Do you have any mechanics planned around that exactly? Or are you just more so doing that as a narrative thing for your own group? Well, a lot of the times right now I'm, you know, we're kind of doing that narratively and, and they have the benefit of, of me being able to, to design things around them. But I really think that the, the reckoning track that like road to reckoning thing where that it's that number, that dark number that keeps creeping up. Um, when we played before in the horror version of this, they remembered the session when the lonely Prince character started craving blood for the first time. And like calf's blood wasn't working anymore. Like they remember what it was that pushed their reckoning over that threshold. They remember the 
terrible dreams that the person was having that were sort of written into like that's how they start you're you're in a a red sand desert and nothing will slake your thirst and you wake up and you're like drinking blood out of your own arm because you're just so thirsty and so anyway sorry that's that's, sorry i'm getting into the horror (laughs) stuff so but the um but they remember what it was there was a fight with like a crazy pumpkin uh patch growing like lunatic who um they who who made them eat like uh diseased pumpkin pulp that like pushed their reckoning up over that and so they remembered what put them over the edge and so i think that that tied into the narrative really tightly so i think that that'll be in the mechanics that like you'll remember where you were when um when you met certain thresholds on that that curse track um that's kind of the the big one that i've got planned for now um yeah yeah if that answers your question yeah (laughs) it half half does half doesn't because i was also curious if you were going to have any sort of uh you've mentioned a lot of chord ideas and whatnot a lot of what and you've mentioned your how you were building a skill tree so i was wondering if you had something planned separate from the reckoning track that built off the history of the uh sessions mm. or if you could somehow to even design something like oh, that yeah because everyone's um, sessions are going to be very unique. well there are uh one thing that i do have in are lingering injuries and curses um so there are certain afflictions that your character can get um, that don't go away when you dream. Um, dreaming usually, like getting you know five to six hours of sleep and and connecting with the dreamlands, will usually heal uh, a sacred curse character back to full health and and remove all of their injuries. But lingering injuries, the trauma damage, so the the like the trauma number on it goes away. You, you can ignore that, but the you the so the like shattered leg might turn into a limp and then you you hold on to that card until you find something that can cure lingering injuries which are much rarer and more potent um sort of healing magics or medical treatment um and a curse those just stick on you until you find a way to break them which again uh, the GM knows how to break the curses, but your characters have to kind of figure it out on their own. Or again, use really powerful magic that can remove curses up to a certain trauma value. Um, and those suck because they lower your max health while you have them. Um, also, they have mm. uh, <laughs> they have uh, um, some weird effects. For example, I mentioned that like crazed pumpkin farmer guy. So there was a curse that stuck to our to Kathy who plays Lavaline in this setting. Um, which was called pumpkin head and she woke up the next morning and her head was a pumpkin. And so she had to cut, uh, if she wanted to see, she had to cut eye holes uh, oh, like in, in the pumpkin head. And if she wanted to speak, she had to cut a mouth and ears. So the more senses you wanted back, the more damage you had to deal to yourself. Um, so she would go into battles with her full essence, but her trauma like her ability to take more of those affliction cards were were very low. And if any of the um, affliction cards that she got had the cranium keyword on it, her head would just explode and she would die instantly. So, (laughs) so she wound up, she wound up stacking quite a bit of reckoning. And again, pumpkin head, you know, Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater uh, is coming up in the spoiler is coming up in the show eventually because they're in the grim wood so they are going to start running into grim's fairy tale you know like mutated freak versions of the grim's fairy tale characters more often and um so the pumpkin head curse will be coming back and uh but so yeah i think that that's that's maybe one uh sort of lingering mechanic that i have in there and um uh yeah but i think i think battle scars are kind of a cool idea uh you've given me two new topics oh good One, uh, you know what? We'll start with this one. Have you thought of a way to make these more beneficial rather than just always being scored? Or are you just not interested in doing that (laughs) and instead leaving that to the skills themselves? Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe there could be like some sort of a boon rather than a, you know, that that goes just the same that goes on a card and like 
gives you trauma value rather than takes it away. Uh, or just gives you a unique thing similar to, you know, D&D's feats, but only more whimsical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there are positive... So there there are two different types of, like, affixes that go onto your character in Wim the Grim. There's the, uh, the uh, afflictions, which are, like, injuries or curses, and there are the... Um, conditions and those are just like temporary like being stunned you lose your turn you know uh, uh mm-hmm. being sickened you take penalties on your stuff you know simple stuff like that or, or being hobbled your your movement speed can't be above two kind of stuff like that um and there are positive yeah. conditions but i don't have any positive afflictions which i guess would be like enchantments or uh, like boons or something like that. Um, benedictions. Benedictions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Affliction. Benediction. Word. That's a gr- those those. I love I love words just so they much. Rhyme. The um. This is. I mean, it's not entirely uh, like. Uh, you would have to mess with it a little bit, but uh, tales from the loop. Um, they have you know the kid. You know, they're all kids in that. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with the game, but. Um, oh, no, I'm, I'm not. And they take traumas and like that, you know, they get sad or injured or whatever, but in order to heal those traumas, they will like, they have to sit down with either someone who's like their anchor, who is like a mentor to them, or they have to sit down with one of the other kids and they have to like basically work out these traumas. Mm. Um, so it, it would be possible that you could do it where like, um, like narratively helping out um another of your uh party members could uh do that uh yeah that boon yeah that's really interesting just 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 it's also (laughs) also a really cool way like for example i was doing some meta stuff with the afflictions originally like there was one curse the like basically curse of silence where both your character and the player couldn't speak um and (laughs) that was really fun but I, I was like, okay, that that has to be a very rare thing because it was very weird <laughs> and and a big ask for the player. But the player was uh, uh, was really into it, so that was cool. But um, yeah, but but uh, having narrative story character interaction ways that you remove uh, curses, mental trauma, afflictions—that's really cool. I love that idea. I'm actually writing that down right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do want to circle back to my other thing real sure. quick. And that is, you were talking about all the courses, you were talking about the reckoning and whatnot. And I want to know, how do you plan on keeping that fresh? Like, there are people who really, or there are players who really enjoy playing the same archetype or the same character mm-hmm. repeatedly. Yeah. But if they have the same reckonings or the same curses... yep. yep. How do you keep rejuvenating? Well, that? I think that uh, I have, I actually have thought about this, about thinking, especially if, if tr- afflictions, curses are things that go on cards. If you were to release a game, even if it's, you know, you put it on online to, to print or to, you know, make your own versions of it. Um, or if you, you find a way to skew the cards and just, and just do it. Um, maybe with a checklist or something like that. There's just, there's only so much of that you can do before it becomes just like too fiddly. And for example, if, if the game were to be released with like a pack of cards, like there's only so many of those you can make. And if you want to have monsters have unique curses or afflictions, like so many of them would have to share them. So that's definitely something I'm thinking about. I mean, I would, ideally I would release like a big, core game and then do expansions like i'll release six monsters and six more little little sets of cards and and stuff and i mean that would be kind of the the dream is to be able to maybe through a through a patreon or through iterant releases be able to to add more of those on and then there could be even backlogging like oh hey this monster came out and he's got a bunch of cool curses and things that you can then ship to you know switch that out with this or that out with this you know to to spice up some of the previous things also i think something that could be cool is if the reckoning tracks had maybe even if it was just each 
bridge that you cross, you know, I was thinking there might be like six or seven of them between the numbers zero and a hundred, like seven, basically like landmines that your character can hit that like change them somehow significantly. And then if the number lowers, those go away, but, but maybe each, each of those bridges that you cross has two different options that can happen. And the GM picks one for you. And when you go back up, um, it could be the same one coming back, or it could be a new thing manifesting. And if the, I mean, literally just adding a second one to each tier would com- would double the, the mileage that you could get out of that system. So, and especially if the GM, you know, I, I try to design a lot of things that put material in the GM's hand because the GM is, is going to, is going to do it anyway. They're going to make their own. They're going to add their own stuff on. So I think that, that that would be the thing to make sure that the systems are like pretty cool and flexible and, and inspiring. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I fully, I fully expect, yeah, Yeah. well, Hey, somebody's playing a, a red hood for like the fourth time. Um, we've seen the wolf transformations and the, you know, you know, blood monster transformations. Like we've seen it all, right? What, well, I imagine your GM could probably come up with, uh, you know, um, iterations off of those ideas and, um, and could balance them just as well as I can. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, honestly, it's, there's only just so much flipping material you can cram into stuff. (laughs) So do it. Yeah. Just do my best, I guess. Well, I, I think a lot of games... We were kind of running out of time, so I wasn't going to ask this. But one of my questions was literally, how are you dealing with bloat? Because some of your systems seem a lot packed into oh, things. Yeah. And then some of them seem a lot frame form. But I don't know if we quite have time to get into that. <laughs> how, this, how am I dealing with bloat? Uh, I'm letting... Right now, I'm in a phase where I'm letting things get really fat um, to see what I like. So that when I because start then you can trim down, yeah, because when I start chopping chopping it down, I want to make sure that I've come up with the juiciest morsels <laughs> to to leave in there. So so so, uh, the, how am I dealing with it right now? I'm not really. I'm just throwing like a bajillion ideas. I'm letting it swell up, but I am trying to be mindful that these things will get chopped down. Like uh, like some of the systems, like the health system and stuff, was like way too complicated before and did like three, di- I three different things. So you're taking the, uh, procrastinators route. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh no, no, I'm, I'm dealing with the problem by not <laughs> know, dealing with it. It's a tomorrow Robbie problem. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, Jared's right. We're going to, uh, start to Peter off here, but sure. I just, I, I want to give you, uh, just a chance to throw out any of the stuff that you, feel strongly about that we maybe didn't get to um so that when i go in and do some cleanup of this uh maybe that stuff can be oh uh, sure put to the forefront so oh sure yeah i mean there's a couple of systems that i that i have in here that i think are really cool um the facet system where basically your skills are a list of single strong words about that are true about your character with bonuses attached to those and at any time that you can argue or conceive that that like for example my character is brave and over next to the word brave uh there might be the word uh you know direct and then over next to that is the plus two so anytime that you can convince your gm that the character being brave and or direct um would be a boon in this situation, you get that bonus on your role. And one thing that's been really fun is that because the, it's a target, I use a target 10 system. So everybody knows that you have to get to 10, 10 is always the target number. So how it basically works is you, uh, you roll, you add your bonus, you subtract the difficulty, you try to hit 10. It's pretty simple, but you'll sit there and you're like, I'm at six. And then you look at your facets and you go like bravery 
should would definitely apply and now it knocks up to eight and now you have players desperately looking through their lists of skills mantras philosophies trying to find something that can knock them up to that 10 that they so desperately want and sometimes they can and sometimes they can't and it just creates this like fun like other people will know their skills and will be like what about this and so it, it makes this uh for, for for big impact uh, checks, it can be a lot of fun. Obviously, you don't do that for all of them. You just, you know, roll and add on. And But for those dangling off the cliff moments, that can be really fun. Um, or the, like, crucial diplomacy thing, that can be really fun. So we're working on that. Right now, I'm working on, like, ha- maybe maybe capping the number that you can add in um, at, a, at, at a certain tier, like, un, uh, of play. Uh, just, just to, right, just to streamline right. it some, but so that's fun. I think that the, um, I really like spell mutations. So every spell in Faritol is like in the, in Wim the Grim is a, is a living thing. So when you cast a spell, um, you roll, uh, on a D 10 and depending on what you roll, the spell gets a mutation, like an add on. It could be something really simple, like the lightning grows thorns, and now it also deals bleed damage. Or it can be something more complicated, where the spell, like, turns on you, or tries to escape, or something weird happens. So, it kind of takes that whole wild magic idea, and gives each spell a bit of its own, like, wild magic table. And certain kinds of spellcasters can manipulate those tables, or nullify those effects, um... And so it, it lets, um, cause I like magic to be more weird and esoteric and less predictable, but I also want a spellcaster to be able to rely on their spells. So I think I found a fun way to, the spell does this all the time, but then it also might do this. <laughs> you never quite know yet. So like some cool examples that we've had are, uh, there's a spell that lets you touch an ally and make them grow, uh, like into like a giant. However, if you cast the spell and then roll a certain mutation, it doesn't like anesthetize them to the growing pains, and so they crack and snap and take a bunch of damage as they get bigger. While uh, because it freaking hurts because <laughs> you're growing, uh, you know, stretching. So, um, and then there another. A high, another better mutation on that same spell is called Jolly, and it gives them a slight green tint to their skin, and they become very euphoric and happy. So what's interesting is characters that can manipulate their spell mutations or, um, you know, might use a spell for the side effect, like how you take a certain medication not for the primary effect, but because of one of these weird side effects that we found later. So, so I think the spell mutations are really fun and they add a lot of like surprise and, uh, kind of like whimsy and, uh, unpredictability to magic, which I really like. Cause I like when magic feels like, like you never quite know what's going to flip and happen. <laughs> and, uh, and then I think enemies strike points is a cool thing that I like. You can, it's basically sort of a expansion off of the called shot idea where boss type monsters like, you know, uh, have multiple different like, uh, strike points. They're called like locations where you can attack them. So attacking the dragon's head, the dragon's head has a whole different array of resistances, weaknesses, and different reactions that it might do. Should you damage it? Um, as opposed to the tail, um, and so monsters can like can be like little puzzles. Like a super simple example is there's a turtle boss that I put in the game that they didn't fight in the story, but they mm. just sort of harassed it and left. But that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. It'll come up back up again later. But so Hi. that monster has crazy damage resistance uh, if you attack its shell. But if you attack its legs... Um, with the right type of damage, either like crushing or force or cold, its legs eventually will give out and then it'll pull itself into its shell. Well, then you might be able to flip it over on its back and a new strike point becomes targetable, which is its underbelly. And that takes like huge bonus damage from like piercing or crushing or, you know, damage. So, so it's kind of trying to make monsters into like, you can just beat them to death, but if you 
puzzle out how to interact with them, you'll do a lot better and be a lot more efficient and do a lot more damage than if you just just wail away at them, which is something that my players are learning slowly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They're like, well, let's they just wail on do. this thing. But um, once if you play along with the mechanics, you get these like big damage numbers at, that 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 are really fun and satisfying. It's got that kind of like Legend of Zelda like monster as a puzzle kind of vibe. So I'm I'm that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm digging that a lot. That's fun. But then it also it also solves that problem of the the boss monster that just sort of stands and waits for five other players' turns to go off. But because as they attack the monster, you're rolling on this reaction table and it's doing stuff constantly. So if you fight a giant spider, the thing is spraying webs and skittering around and leaving poison pools all around the ground, um, which is like a boss, like something a boss monster should do, like a big bad yeah, monster. Yeah. Um, but normal monsters don't have those reactions, but but bosses are constantly reacting to your attacks and countering you. And so it, 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 uh, it allows the players not to abuse their five to one turn advantage right, right. as much because the monster is constantly reacting and and throwing new surprises at them so all right well uh that was awesome man um i i have a lot more insight into the game and i appreciate that as someone who listens to the show uh, i love I that thank you have like aha moments as you were talking like you know even the one i listened to the newest one today and kind of getting an understanding of that uh uh, oh goodness, the nature, the controlling nature. I mm-hmm. it, it helped me understand today's episode a little bit more. So I uh, that's awesome. I really Great. dig that. Um, and I'm glad that you came on and gave us all the uh, deluge of, of nonsense from my brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I'm always happy to listen to other people talk. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> um, match built in heaven. <laughs> um but yeah uh thank you so much for coming on Um, absolutely i've been uh, looking forward to this for a while so uh thank you everyone for listening uh hopefully you guys are excited uh, about this uh as well and um i'm ravi check out the show check out the uh could have been heroes podcast you can check us out on uh uh, could have been heroes.squarespace.com or basically anywhere where you can get a podcast. You can hear us uh, brewing the cauldron that is this weird, weird witchy fairy ga- monster game that we're making and uh, having a blast doing it. Or uh, come chat with us on Discord or whatever. We're fun. All right. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Jason. Yes. And thank you. I am Robbie from Could Have Been Heroes Podcast. And this has been Jared. Bye bye. This has been a production of 7th Level Bardcast, copyright 2021. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to 7th Level Bardcast. You can find links to previous shows, resources, and our social media at 7thlevelbardcast.com. Also, connect with us through our Discord link on the website. We invite our audience to offer feedback, suggest a topic, or for a quick conversation. To support the show, like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. Music provided by Adarin.